0: Hey now, everybody, Jake Lewis here, and you're listening to From the Top, a bookcast where I will read you the first chapter of a YA or middle grade novel, talk a little bit about it as we go, and then have some other fun little features uh, thrown in. Thanks for joining us. We got a good one for you today, so without any further ado, let's get into it. Before we get into this week's book, let's take a reading reflection of last week's read, which was called Shad Hadid and the Alchemists of Alexandria. Here is this week's reading reflection. So, as I said, last week's book was Shad Hadid and the Alchemists of Alexandria. And I got to be honest with you, I didn't quite know what the word alchemists mean. Now, I knew that alchemists were related to alchemy, and I had a a vague idea in my mind about that alchemy maybe was something to do with science in some way, maybe a little bit of magical something or other. It felt like a very old-fashioned thing to me. I knew what Alexandria was. Alexandria is in Egypt. Uh, the great library of Alexandria, and so on. But the first part of it, I wanted to look up, and so I looked up the word alchemy, and it comes from the Arabic, so it was uh, very fitting that it was uh, a central character who was Arabic, and it's an ancient branch of natural philosophy, a philosophical and proto-scientific tradition. I mean, it's an early scientific tradition, and by the way, I'm reading right from uh, Wikipedia. I'm not just uh, coming up with these words myself. But it gives you the idea. Historically practiced in China, India, in the Muslim world, and Europe, alchemists attempt to purify, mature, and perfect certain materials. Common aims were chrysopoeia, the transmutation of base metals into noble metals in other words turning something like lead into gold also the creation of an elixir of immortality so a potion that you would drink and never die and the creation of panaceas able to cure any disease so i I was not entirely wrong when i said it was sort of a mix between science and magic so uh now that i have uh discovered or rediscovered or uh, expanded my understanding of the word alchemy and alchemists I have a better idea about the book that I uh, hope you enjoyed last week I know I sure did and that is this week's reading reflection all right now it is time for the attack of the blurb This week's book is called Elsewhere, it's written by Gabrielle Zevin, and here is the attack of the blurb. Funny, grief, death, Picasso, Marilyn Monroe, baby, grandmother, and finally, psychiatric. Want to know what all those words have in common? And what they all have to do with this story? Well, stay tuned because here comes chapter one of Elsewhere by Gabrielle Zevin. The book actually begins with a prologue, which is what we also had in last week's read, which is a chapter before the first chapter. And I think we actually even had that in the book beforehand. Prologues are very prolific, it seems like. So here it is from elsewhere, the prologue, which is entitled, In the End. The end came quickly, and there wasn't any pain. Sometimes the father whispers it to the mother. Sometimes the mother to the father. From the top of the stairs, Lucy hears it all and says nothing. For Lizzie's sake. Lucy wants to believe that the end was quick and painless. A quick end is a good one. But she can't help wondering, how do they know? The moment of the crash certainly must have been painful, Lucy reasons. And what if that one moment hadn't been quick at all? She wanders into Lizzie's room and surveys it despondently. A teenage girl's whole life is a collection of odds and ends. A turquoise bra thrown over a computer monitor. An unmade bed. An aquarium filled with earthworms, a deflated Mylar balloon from last Valentine's Day, a do not enter sign on the doorknob, a pair of unused tickets for a machine concert under the bed. In the end, what does it all mean anyway? And what does it matter? Is a person just a pile of junk? (laughs) Isn't that a great question? Is a person just a pile of junk? What does all of our stuff really amount to because like it or not, it's all going to be junk in the end, right? Everything that we own, when we go, it goes with us or will eventually get thrown away or, you know, who knows. But what does it all mean? How much can your belongings tell you about a person? We have this character, Lizzie, and it sounds like there was some crash that happened. And Lizzie is no longer around. And we get a look into her room. She's a teenage girl. We're told that. And on one hand, we got an unmade bed and a bra thrown over a computer monitor. And I feel a little bit awkward uh, reading that and and just kind of picturing it. Like, I, I shouldn't even know about that. But there's also an aquarium with earthworms. And uh, do not enter sign and concert tickets. And, you know, so these all tell us little bits of information about this girl, Lizzie, but not the full picture. And whoever Lucy is, Lucy is sort of our eyes and ears at this point. Lucy is wondering, well, what does it all mean? And that's a big question to ask ourselves and our readers the only thing to do when lucy feels this way is to dig dig until she forgets everything and everyone dig right through the pink carpet dig until she reaches the ceiling of the floor below dig until she falls through dig and dig and dig and dig Lucy has finally worked up a good cleansing dig when Alvie, the seven-year-old brother, picks her up off the rug and sets her in his lap. Don't worry, Alvie says. Even though you belong to Lizzie, someone will always feed you and wash you and take you to the park. You can even sleep in my room now. Did you think Lucy was a person? Because it doesn't seem that way right now, does it? For the first little bit, we thought maybe it's uh, another sister of Lizzie. Lizzie, Lucy, those could be sisters, right? But now we have a seven-year-old brother named Alvy who picks Lucy up off the rug after Lucy has been digging. And I don't think that's metaphorical. Uh, and we also learned that Lizzie owned Lucy and that Lucy can now sleep in Alvy's room and that Alvy will help take care of Lucy by washing Lucy and taking Lucy to the park. So the question then becomes, is Lucy a dog or a cat or some other pet? Sitting primly on Alvi's too small lap, Lucy imagines that Lizzie is just away at college. Lizzie was nearly 16, and it would have happened in about two years anyway, the glossy brochures had already began piling up on lizzie's bedroom floor occasionally lucy would urinate on one of the brochures or bite a corner out of another but even then she knew it couldn't be stopped one day lizzie would go and dogs weren't allowed in dorm rooms where do you think she is alvy asks lucy cocks her head is she he pauses up there as far as lucy knows the only thing Up there is the attic. Well, Alvy says, jutting his chin defiantly toward the sky, I believe she is up there, and I believe there are angels there and harps and heaps of puffy clouds and white silky pajamas and everything. Likely story, Lucy thinks. She doesn't believe in the happy hunting ground or the rainbow bridge. She believes a pug goes around once, that's it. She wishes she might see Lizzie again someday, but she doesn't hold out much hope. Even if there is something after the end, who knows if it has kibble, or naps, or fresh water, or cushy laps, or even dogs. And worst part of all, it isn't here. Lucy moans, mainly in grief, but partially, it must be said, in hunger. When a family loses its only daughter, a pug's mealtimes can be erratic. Lucy curses her treacherous stomach. What kind of beast is she to be hungry when her best friend is dead? Well, we know that Lucy is a dog, a pug. So I'm automatically now invested into this book. There is not a cuter dog in my mind than a pug. I have always wanted a pug, someday I will have a pug. So, Gabrielle Zevin, the writer of this book, you have already won me over now that you have a pug in it. It doesn't need to even be about really anything else from this point forward. The fact that you have a pug in this story, I'm sold. But unfortunately, as much as I do love a pug, we have also learned that Lizzie, Lucy's owner, has died. Unfortunately, and it was some sort of crash, we were told. And that Alvi, her brother, believes that she is in kind of that uh, stereotypical vision of heaven that uh, many of us probably think about. But Lucy is a dog after all, and she's hungry. And as much as she would like to be reunited with Lizzie at some point down the line, She is also a bit of a pessimistic dog, which is just kind of funny to begin with, because you don't necessarily think of dogs as being optimistic or pessimistic. They're just dogs, right? And uh, so that's that's an amusing kind of twist on the idea of a dog telling a story. I wish you could talk, Alvy says. I bet you're thinking something interesting. And I wish you could listen, Lucy barks, but Alvie doesn't understand her anyway. The next day, the mother takes Lucy to the dog park. It's the first time anyone has remembered to walk Lucy since the end. On the way over, Lucy can smell the mother's sadness all around them. She tries to determine what the smell reminds her of. Is it rain? Parsley? Bourbon. Old books? Wool socks. Bananas, Lucy decides. At the park, Lucy just lies on a bench, feeling friendless and depressed, and, will it never end? A little hungry. A toy poodle named Coco asks Lucy what's wrong, and with a sigh, Lucy tells her. As the poodle is a notorious gossip, the news spreads quickly through the dog park. Bandit, a one-eyed All-American, who in less refined circles would be called a mutt, offers his sympathies. He asks Lucy, they putting you on the streets? No, Lucy replies. I'll still live with the same family. Then I don't see what's so bad about it, Bandit says. She was only 15. So we only have 10, 15 years tops and you don't see us carrying on. But she wasn't a dog, Lucy barks. She was a human, my human, and she got hit by a car. So We get hit by cars all the time. Cheer up, little pug. You worry too much. That's why you have so many wrinkles. Lucy has heard this joke many times before, and she thinks somewhat unkindly. For Bandit isn't a bad sort, that she has never met a mutt with a good sense of humor. My advice is to find yourself another two-legger. If you'd lived my life, you'd know they're all about the same. When the kibble runs out, I'm gone. With that, Bandit abandons Lucy to join a game of Frisbee. Lucy sighs and feels very sorry for herself. She watches the other dogs playing in the dog park. Look how they can sniff each other's rear ends and chase balls and run around in circles. How innocent they seem. In the natural order of things, a dog isn't meant to outlive her human, Lucy howls. No one understands unless it's happened to her. And what's more, no one even seems to care. Lucy shakes her small round head. It's so totally disheartening. I can't even be bothered to curl my tail. In the end, the end of a life only matters to friends, family, and other folks you used to know. The pug whimpers miserably. For everyone else, it's just another end. And that concludes the prologue called In the End of the book Elsewhere by Gabrielle Zevin. By the way, if you have an Amazon Prime account and you are signed up for Kindle Unlimited, you can read that book for free as part of the Kindle Unlimited program. So if you liked it, and uh, I'm always in favor, though, however, of buying books. I prefer to read actual books. But uh, if you have a Kindle and uh, are interested, you know, do that deal. All right. It is now time for the part of the show called the three, two, one. Here are now three thoughts or things I liked or both while reading the prologue of Elsewhere by Gabrielle Zevin. So, first of all, I like how the prologue has the title, In the End, because prologue, by its definition, means at the beginning. And it's called, In the End. So I think that's clever. At the time that you first read that, it's it's a little bit confusing. As we read the prologue, though, we understand why it's called in the end, because Lizzie's life has ended. And it feels like an ending for the dog, Lucy. So I thought that was pretty clever wordplay. And I'm not really surprised because the author, Gabrielle Zevin, in addition to writing this young adult book and a a few others, uh, she has a series called The Birthright Series as well. She has written for adult audiences too, and uh, great novels there one is called the storied life of aj Fickery, and more recently she wrote a novel called tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and that's also wonderful so she's a she's a gifted writer so it does not surprise me that she uh has the same charm with ya books so that's the first thing i like about it that that catchy clever confusing and then uh understandable prologue title the second thing. I liked. I already told you that it's narrated by a dog uh, and a pug for that fact. But I like that there is some humor because the the topic of a child dying, that's pretty darn heavy. That uh can be a turnoff for a lot of readers for good reason. But instead of it just being completely sad, it's still sad. But there's some humor thrown in as well. For instance, talking about the brochures to the colleges that Lizzie was looking at and how Lucy did not want Lizzie to go, even though she knew she would. So she would pee on the brochures or chew on the brochures. It's also funny how she keeps talking about how hungry she is. I mean, every dog is always hungry. But at one point, the next day in the park, she says she is friendless and depressed and will it never end a little hungry? Will this hunger never end? So there's some real needed humor here because if there was no humor, man, oh man, this would be a tough first chapter or prologue to get through. And even in this first chapter, a third thing that I like about it or something that I thought about was This passage that says that Lucy can smell the mother's sadness. Well, dogs have an incredible sense of smell. And even as humans, we sometimes associate certain smells with people. And those associations can also have a uh, mood or a feeling that goes along with it. For example, I'll give you a personal anecdote. When I I smell uh, a certain cologne, it makes me think of my grandfather and there are warm and fuzzy memories with that. Or sometimes if you smell a particular odor or aroma, it might bring you back to a certain place and evoke that emotion. But I love the variety of smells that Lucy goes through trying to pinpoint what it is exactly she's smelling, that she associates with sadness. And they're all very different. Rain, parsley, bourbon, old books, wool socks, and then bananas. I love bananas. Bananas do not make me sad, but that's moot. That doesn't matter. It's just a very fun and interesting way to describe it. So those are the three things that I liked about this first chapter of Elsewhere. And now two questions I had while reading or post reading of chapter one. The first one is, is the whole book going to be narrated by the dog? As much as I love dogs and pugs, part of me is hoping not. Because yes, Lucy is funny. Lucy has some interesting, uh, thoughts, but I don't think that it would hold my interest if the whole story was told from the point of view of a dog. And my second question is a follow-up to my first question. If it's not narrated by Lucy the dog for the remainder of the novel or for most of the novel, who is going to tell the story? Is it going to be from Lizzie's point of view? Is it going to be from Alvy, the brother's point of view? Or some other character that we have not yet met? So is it going to be uh, all a flashback leading up to this prologue? Is that why the prologue is called In the End? Because the rest of the book is going to take place before the prologue and unfortunately maybe include that accident? Or are we going to go forward in time, in a linear fashion. Who knows? We'll have to read to find out. And finally, one thing I learned or am going to try in my own writing. Maybe I'll write part of a story from the point of view of my dog. You ever have conversations with your dog and you supply the voice of your dog. And if you say no, you're lying because every pet owner who loves pets does that. You make up voices for pets. So I have this idea in my mind of what my dog sounds like. How does he see the world? What thoughts go through his mind? And the fun thing about that might be, we have some pretty profound thoughts here in this prologue that Lucy shares you know, about um, the that she doesn't believe in this rainbow bridge. Rainbow bridge, by the way, is what people call heaven for pets. Maybe it's just dogs. I'll say it's for pets. And it's a, a bridge, a rainbow bridge, I guess. And uh, so what does my dog think of that? Sometimes the questions that a human might have just sound a little bit more uh interesting or you can play around with them a little bit more if you do it from a non-human's point of view a point of view from a being like a dog who one might think is not as smart as a human but clearly here Lucy has very intelligent thoughts and uh so you know given our dogs maybe uh more credit might be something that would be a fun convention to play with when it comes to writing. And last but not least, here on the show this week, we have the Jake-O-Meter, where I give this first chapter a score on a scale of one to 10, one being awful, wish I'd never read it, 10 being super supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, which I think means something like really good. So for the book, Elsewhere by Gabrielle Zevin, I'm going to give this book a 10. Yes, sir! Whoa, now, I'm getting a little bit crazy here. Uh, but seriously, I, I really enjoyed this. Um, like I said, you put a pug in it, that's, uh, I'm sold right away i i like the mix of humor and sadness i like the deep sort of profound thoughts that it makes me think about um from from reading it i'm uh, intrigued to know more if nothing else than just to find out what exactly happened why is it called elsewhere that gives me an idea that it's not going to be told from the dog's point of view although i could be wrong i have not read it like i say every week I read the first chapter for the first time, along with you. And uh, so, yes, I think so far, this is probably one of my favorites that I have read on this program, and hopefully you feel the same way as well. And there you have it, another episode of From the Top in the Books. Get it? In the Books. Finished. I find myself more clever than most people do, but that's okay. I'm allowed to do that. Hope you enjoyed the book. Again, it's called Elsewhere, and that's by Gabrielle Zevin. And it's available wherever books are sold, preferably an independent bookstore, uh, your local library, if you'd rather just, uh, you know, borrow it for a short period of time. That's excellent as well, although I'm always in favor of helping out the independent bookstores and supporting authors. We'll be back again next Monday with another first chapter from a YA or middle grade novel. In the meantime, feel free to send me an email at fromthetopbookcast@gmail.com, at gmail.com. And maybe your question or comment or request will make it on to an upcoming show in our reader email bag. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You'll be notified when the latest episode becomes available. Or if there's ever a bonus episode, I'll do one someday. So I'm not just saying that. There's one coming. Trust me. Will you know about it? That's the question. And finally, if you can give us a nice five-star review or whatever the highest level of stars is on, on the podcast listening platform that you are using... I'll be your best friend forever. And who doesn't want another best friend, right? You might say you can only have one best friend. That's why it's called a best friend. I disagree. I think you can have many best friends. You are all some of my best friends just by dint of listening to this podcast. So you're welcome. My name is Jake Lewis. I'll see you again from the top.